Uh, nearing the very end now of our study in uh, Philippians. We've, uh, we take, took up this study last year, and so we're going to finish it out uh, next week. Yes, in fact, we will be gathering for worship uh, next Sunday. Uh, yes, some will be downstairs <laughs> partying during the Super Bowl, but uh, they'll get a gospel message too. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll be up here, and uh, I will, I'll try not to keep you long. I won't, you know, some people have said that I preach long, and, uh, but I, I won't do that next Sunday So you, if you have Super Bowl parties to get to or whatnot. So uh, we'll see how the Lord moves, though. Um, <laughs> um, tonight, we are in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, next week, we'll close out the chapter. But tonight, I really wanted to focus on these verses, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Uh, throughout, as we have noted, and uh, tried to observe in every single passage, every single section we've come to, we've noted that Paul's main theme, his main thrust throughout this letter, is trying to show the ways that Christ is the church's joy. This is his concern for this church, this church at Philippi, but it's his concern, yes, for Christians everywhere, that they find Christ alone to be their truest, their greatest, their most meaningful and significant source of joy. He's shown us that in an abundance of ways through the humility of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, the ways in which Christ answers our need for righteousness and perfection. He has shown us that this, this Christ, the Christ, is our truest joy. His desire for this church and for us too is that we live a life of faith and that I think is lived out as we saw most evidently, I would say most clearly in Philippians chapter 2, where we saw how Christ shows us this example of just joyful humility. And that's what brings the world to its knees as we, the church, example this likewise in our lives of faith. But as we noted a couple weeks ago at the beginning of chapter 4 as he's kind of closing out this letter. Paul begins by begging, as it says, beseeching two women to find renewed fellowship in the Lord, he says. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, verse 1, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. My dearly beloved, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life, all of which culminates in that very familiar refrain, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Here we've uh, we noted how this joy is sort of the antidote. This joy found in the Lord Jesus specifically is this answer, this antidote toward uh, to whatever discord existed between these individuals in this church. Their disunity, their disagreement. Paul is pointing them, showing look back to Christ. He's the one who can set it right. He's the one that gives them their same mind. Allowing them to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, as we noted several weeks ago, for those who weren't here, uh, that's not just a nice quote. 
It's not just a, 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 a quote for greeting cards and, and hallmark cards and calendars and whatnot. It is the crux, we could say, of the Christian life. It's how the Christian life is grounded and rooted in what is true and what is substantial and what allows us, as we sang, to have souls that are still, despite the disappointment and grief that we bear. And as Paul proceeds to say, this truth that Christ is our joy, as he noted in the first part, it informs how we resolve conflict. But now he's going to kind of move in showing it how it, it informs and inspires the way that we live. In verses 5 through 9, he sort of works out this, he sort of unpacks this note of rejoicing in the Lord always as it's seen in our daily lives, how it influences our daily lives. Notice verse 5. As Paul says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Here Paul encourages the church to live, I would say, peaceably. Live Peaceably. That word moderation literally means just that. It means peaceable, or we could translate it patience or gentleness or meekness. Here he is saying, above all, the joy that you find in Christ allows and informs the church to live peaceably, patiently, gently, meekly with whatever occurs in that life. Which, again, is one of the defining characteristics of the church. We, as Christ's people, are not to be known as troublemakers. <laughs> you know, that, that qualification of pastors and, and elders and deacons in First Timothy chapter 3, where it says that they uh, are not brawlers. <laughs> it has this same sort of notion. They are meek. They are gentle. They aren't looking to rouse unnecessary conflict. They aren't mercenaries hunting for the next thing that they can go out and make waves about. They are peaceable. They let their moderation go before them. They let their, their joy in Christ be known by how they proceed through situations that others might deem as conflict, but they see it as opportunities to show forth, again, this moderation, this gentleness. Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he encourages that church to, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Again, a similar word in the same sort of context. The love of Christ, the joy of Christ, allows the church to live peaceably. We are free, yes, by grace and the Spirit, to live gently with and before all men. And note how he says, why? Because the Lord is at hand, Philippians 4, 5. That hand is this phrase that sort of uh, uh, conjures this, this idea of the nearness, the, the closeness of the Lord. That's what it's meant to convey. His presence is always with us. His assurance is always for us. Always all the way to the end, which means we can live peaceably. Yes, in times that can seem as if they are uh, up and down, as it can seem as if they are constantly ebbing and flowing with no receding. We can know for sure. We can have this moderate, we could say, gentle, peaceable life because of the Lord's closeness. 
His purposes always prevail. This, I would say, is one of the truest trademarks of the church. Our calling card, we could say, as those who are part of the church of Christ. This faithfulness that is also humble and patient in trouble and trial. As we sang about in grief and disappointment and distress. In all of those seasons, what do we have as the church? We have the joy of Christ that does not get swayed or moved. We have the truth and the presence of Christ that he is at hand. He is close. He is nearby. That is what we are in possession of. As Paul is here reminding this church, you can live peaceably even in perplexing days. Days in which you're seeking to find some, something solid, something, something that you can rest your feet on. You have it in Christ, Paul is saying. You can live peaceably, therefore. Even in those types of days, because you know this one who knows the ends from the beginning. And have you ever thought that, I, I know, at least for me, that when you read certain headlines, you can at first, perhaps, your first instinct is to think about how, oh, the end time is near and how dreadful that sounds. And yet for the church, it's a victory cry. We don't have to dread it at all. We don't have to live in fear at all, wringing our hands, turning our knuckles white over how perplexing the days are, how frustrating the headlines are. We can, as Paul says, let our moderation be known to all men, regardless of the seasons, because the end of all things actually is just the drawing near of Christ himself. When we won't have to see him by faith. We can see him face to face. What does Paul say? I think it's in Second Corinthians 4. That we see through a glass, but dimly, but darkly, I think is what the King James says. But at that day, the end of all days, we will see him face to face. Faith will be at an end, and we will see him with our eyes. And we will never be taken away from that presence again. That is the assurance of joy that we have in Jesus. And informs our moderation. I think also too this this faith in this Christ. This Christ who is at hand. Who is always nearby. Who is assuring us of his purposes. And how they always prevail. Means we don't have to idolize our own purposes. I think this is what connects this verse, your moderation, known unto all men. It connects it with the conflict that he's just sought to resolve. If God's purposes are prevailing and preeminently above our own, we don't have to idolize our own. This is, I think, his, his remarks on conflict resolution, we might say, is remembering whose purposes really prevail. It's the Lord's who is at hand. Think, just think about, we don't know what... Situation arose between Yoris and Sintiki. We don't know what caused them to have this little quarrel. <laughs> Who knows? Color of the carpet, the color of the drapes, I don't know. Something. Maybe it was the type of communion juice they were serving. I don't know. Uh, some person wanted Welch's, another person wanted the off brand. I don't know. Regardless, this conflict, uh, we could say, arises, it, it occurs when we elevate our needs and wants and purposes to top priority. 
It's again, it's going back to Philippians chapter 2. It's the reverse of how, they, how it says, This fellowship in the Spirit fulfill ye my joy and being like-minded of the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. It's the opposite of all that. Instead of having this fellowship in the Spirit, remembering Christ and His purposes and having joy and, those, and watching those be fulfilled, uh, conflicts arise when we say, I am the top one. I'm the one that needs to be answered to. I'm the one that needs to be conceded to. And Paul here says such thinking is detrimental. Instead, the grace of Christ, the joy of Christ allows us to live peaceably with all men. Because it flows out of the, out of the assurance that the Lord is at hand. <laughs> the king of all things, he is close. That's not something to dread. That's not something to fear. That's something to rejoice in. This joy of Christ allows us to live peaceably. But note in verses 6 and 7 that not only are we to live peaceably, but we are to live, if you can excuse this very rhyming word, peacefully. (laughs) And there's a difference. Peaceably is this interaction we have with others. This peaceful living comes when we know that our soul is at rest. And notice what he says. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your, ma- let your, excuse me, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is here Paul's reminder his encouragement to live peacefully that's what is in contrast to this careful as we could translate him perhaps you have it in a different translation in front of you this anxious or this troubled life he contrasts here with this peace this transcendent peace a peace that passes all understanding You are likely very familiar with that verse. It's a very quotable verse. We talk about, we rattle off about this peace that passes understanding almost perhaps without thinking about what it really means. (laughs) Go back again. We can just step back even in our own lives and we can know for sure that there is a lot to be anxious about if we let ourselves. (laughs) There's a lot that we can fret about. Fret is a good King James word that you see in the Psalms. I think it's Psalm 32 where David talks about that, or 37. Regardless, there's a lot that we can be anxious about. We don't have to list them all. We don't have to list the ways that we often get worried. We perhaps know those all too well. And the key point is, is that it's different for everyone. If you were to tabulate, if you were to register, write a record about all the different ways and things that sort of set you off, get your anxiety levels a little bit raised, it would be different. Which again goes back, just a little sidebar, to this peaceable living that we talked about in verse 5. Part of living peaceably with our brothers and sisters in Christ is not judging another person's anxiety. Just because you and I might not struggle with The same things doesn't mean that so-and-so's anxiety is invalid and mine is a little bit more concerning. Mine is a little bit more significant. We are given to think that. Oh, that's that's nothing. (laughs) Living peaceably is putting ourselves, making ourselves, as it says in Philippians 2.7, of no reputation. (laughs) But what we are anxious about might differ, yes, but... 
What is not different between every single person in this room is the remedy for such anxieties, such troubles, the cares that weigh us down. The remedy is the same. The solution is exactly the same as Paul here reminds this church that in everything, talk to God. Be careful for nothing, he says. But in everything, everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I think what is most true about that, we could define each word that Paul uses there, prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. I just like that he says, make it known. Don't conceal it. Don't try and couch it. We've, uh, I've referenced this and talked about this uh, most often in connection with David and the Psalms. But here, uh, Paul is making a direct sort of, we could say, same exact uh, sort of assertion. We don't have to couch or, or try and pretend that our troubles are not as bad as we know or feel them to be. Make it known to this God. Make it known to him that you're troubled and distressed and just filled with unrest, filled with anxiety. Make it known to him. If you want more examples, yes, read the Psalms. Read Psalm 88, Psalm 89, Psalm 13. There's countless Psalm 3. We can, there's countless ones we could go to where David just pours out, God, I am stressed. I have anxieties and cares that I don't know how to bear. And yet what does scripture say? And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts. Keep is a great word. It's a great word in that particular context, yes, but it's a, it's a great word that I think our translation really dampens because keep is not really the true picture. It's really actually a word which means guard or protect, especially as with a military guard. And of course, we could imagine that Paul is looking at the Roman garrison that's keeping him literally in this moment and thinking about how that's how God keeps him with his peace. But even so, he was kept by someone greater. He and his soul was sustained, was guarded by someone even greater than the ones who were enchaining him, who were enslaving and imprisoning him in that moment itself. So even in chains, Paul could live peacefully, peacefully because he knew who ultimately guarded his life. Not even himself, (laughs) It was the God of peace. Turn with me to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. There's a great verse, which I don't know. I'm reading perhaps into Paul here, but he almost copies, echoes this verse in so many ways. Isaiah 26. Look at verse 3 and note what the prophet here says. Thou wilt keep him in perfect Peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I think this is what Paul's heart is here in this particular passage. It's a mind that stayed on Christ. Yes, as we've noted, things perhaps didn't turn out the way that Paul at first desired. 
He's a preacher who is in chains. He's not doing what he wants to be doing. And yet here he's encouraging this church. Have joy in Christ because his purposes prevail. His mind is stayed on Jehovah. His mind is stayed on this God of peace who is filling him with this peace. This transcendent rest. And if you will, let me clarify one more thing here. Because... I think there's a way in which we can read verse 6 as a very rigid word. Paul here says, be careful for nothing. We could uh, literally translate it, don't be anxious. But I think there's a way in which we can phrase it that is unhelpful. His point, Paul's isn't, I don't think. Is that he's not meaning to convey that anxiety and gratitude are incompatible. Sometimes I think that we can think that. That those who are anxious are not really grateful for what they have. Sometimes, let me just say, anxiety is not always controllable. It's not something that you can stamp down by just by thinking something different. I wish it were that easy sometimes. I know for a fact that there are perhaps some, maybe even in our congregation, but I know in my own family, uh, who are more given, more perhaps vulnerable to thinking uh, anxious thoughts. And it's, I think, part of the makeup, part of our fallen nature. Which is why it requires faith that we live and walk by faith, not by sight. But again, let me say, does that mean that their faith is somehow of lesser value? No. If you, tonight, know that you struggle with anxiety, you have cares that you cannot seem to escape out of your mind, your faith is just as true as the next person beside you. It just might mean that perhaps these verses are ones you have to keep a little bit closer to your heart. (laughs) It just might perhaps mean you have to keep a couple more verses around you to stir your mind to stay on him. This passage is not a law. It's not a rigid command that says if you're being anxious, you're failing. That's not what Paul is here conveying. It's an invitation. It's an invitation and a welcome for anxious souls to fall on this God of peace who welcomes them with open arms. That's the good news that's offered here. That those who are given to these careful thoughts, these meticulously stressful things that rage and race in their mind, they here are given this invitation to this safe and secure Christ who opens his arms to them. He's this person, Christ Jesus, who meets anxious souls in despair and depression and disappointment. You see, this is what makes the Christian faith, the faith of the church, the message that we preach, different than any other system of religion in the whole entire world. Is that when we, when we are stressed, when we are given to fear, to worry, to concern, weighted concern, We're not appealing to some nebulous force or undefined uh, thing out in the universe. Our hope is not vague. Our hope is not cloudy. 
Our hope is not some mystical thing that we have to appeal to. Our hope is incarnate. Our hope has flesh and blood and skin and bone and sinew. Paul here is reminding these Philippians, your anxious soul finds rest in a person. As he says here, in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He's the one that meets our souls when we're stressed and worried and fearing and doubting. We can be reminded, the good news here, we can be reminded is that there's a person who's concerned for you. A person who is guarding your heart. Yes, even now. As it says in the book of Hebrews, he is ever making intercession for us. This is this God of peace. He's guarding you with his peace. This is what Jesus does. It's what allows us, I would say, to live peacefully. So we saw uh, living peaceably, living peaceably, but also something we need to ponder here as he closes out this little section. In verses 8 and 9. Because this peaceable and peaceful living is directly tied to, I think, what we think about, what we ponder. Notice that's, again, another familiar verse, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report... If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. And those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. As I noted just a minute ago, I think there are some times when anxious thoughts can creep into our minds. And they're not really brought on by anything we consciously do. I know Again, I'm referencing my mom. I know that she is given to that. On the other hand, though, I think there are a number of things that we get anxious about that are brought on because our thoughts are not riddled with the words of Christ. They're kind of riddled with filth. (laughs) Maybe you've battled this in the past. I know I have too. That our thinking is often not where it should be. It's misaligned. And our thinking is a byproduct of what we're consuming. Your thoughts are driven often by what you're reading and watching and listening. Which is why it's important and why Paul here is reminding this church. It's important what you read and talk about and think about and and listen. You know, no wonder we're loaded down with stresses and unbearable cares. When the bulk of our entertainment is... (laughs) Doom and, gloom, doom and gloom, fear-mongering, and, and gossip from celebrities that we hear about on the news. <laughs> How often do you turn on the TV and all you can have to sit back and think about is just the ugliness of the world? <laughs> Oftentimes that's what we see. Those are things which I think are primed to shipwreck our faith. Paul talks about that in First Timothy. How the faith of some that were around Timothy, it ran aground is that image. It's a ship running aground. Because all these thoughts kind of crept up and they got to where they shouldn't be. And allowed these some of these uh, to lose their faith all together. And here Paul is saying, think on these things. 
It's not, I don't think, what Paul is meaning to say that the cure for anxiety is just better thinking. Not always. But here Paul is saying the cure for a lot of our worry is just that. Thinking on things that are true. As Paul says to the church at Corinthians, at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 10.5, he encourages them to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. <laughs> Think about that image. Bringing our thoughts into captivity, that is a, a, a truth which requires a lot of discipline, I would say. It requires something of us. As we noted from Isaiah, this peace that comes about for those whose minds are stayed on him. If our lives are informed by our thoughts, then we should be on guard. We should be on guard at the ready to think on things, as Paul here says, that are true and honest and just, and pure, and lovely, and of good report. These are the things that we ought to be filling our mind with. This can be very practical for us. <laughs> Turning off a device, or changing the thing that we are entertaining ourselves with. And actually though, as I've noted before, I think this verse is actually meant to suggest something spiritual as well. Thinking on these things literally means bringing the Lord Jesus himself to our minds more often. Again, go through that list. He is the true one. He is the honorable one. He is the just one, the pure one, the lovely one. He is the one who is perfect in every single way. He is the one that ought to be filling our thoughts and our minds and our hearts and our souls the great expositor Alexander McLaren says just that. He says, quote, All these things are embodied in a person, for whatever things are fair meet in Jesus Christ. And he, in his living self, is the sum of all virtue and of all praise. Thinking on these things is not merely meditating upon abstractions, but it is clutching and living in and with and by the living, loving Lord and Savior of us all. If Christ is in my thoughts... All good things are there. That's a good summary of Paul's encouragement. This thing we ought to ponder is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who yes informs and inspires and imbues us with the grace to live peaceably and live peacefully in these days. You see your greatest and your truest joy is not dependent, as we've noted before, on your circumstances. It's dependent upon this person. Something that's not flimsy, that's not feeble, that's not going to be knocked over with the slightest gust of wind. Our joy is deep and abiding. It's secure in the infinite authority of Jesus Christ. He's the one our minds ought to be stayed on. He's the one who fills us with his peace, which promises us for sure that all of his purposes prevail. May our minds then be stayed on this one, the Prince of Peace himself. Let us pray.